And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Corner of Gray Street podcast, where we are continuing our discussion with the DMB Almanac crew. And this time, we're going to dive into a show that we allowed them to choose, and we're going to let them introduce it. So, Nolan, what's up again? Yo. And Rob and Dan, kick us off. Let us know what you chose and why you chose this specific show. All right, so this was my pick. And uh, so the second Riverbend show is from Riverbend 97, June 22nd. Um, We're kind of past the crash single cycle at this point, but still playing crash heavy shows. I picked this show because um, it's kind of between the Flectones run and the Los Lobos run of this tour. There's like maybe 10 shows in there that I don't think ever really get any attention because if you're going to go to 1997 and if I'm going to, then, you know, I'm going to go to a Bella Fleck show. But I think the show is really one of the best five man shows that they've really ever performed. And it's one that maybe not a whole lot of people know very well because of that. Um, I think, you know, when, when you go to a show and you get home and you're like, so what was the highlight outside of the songs? Like Carter is your MVP 50% of the time, especially back then Boyd is probably your MVP for another 30% of the time and then spread it out around everybody else. This is one of those shows where Dave is the clear and obvious MVP of the show and his vocals, you know, Mm -hmm. he has his own quirky charisma, but he's generally not the most enthusiastic of front men yeah you know um in this show it kind of reminds me a lot of that live tracks 18 which is the 96 summer tour opener where you just look at it and it looks like yeah it looks good it fits in with the rest of the tour but when you listen to it like the energy of the show just kind of bleeds through and all of dave's little improv ramblings that he does in this song everything is on another level even when he's introducing like the song that Jane likes, like it's just, it's part of the song really. Like I've got a sister named Jane. This is the song that Dave likes. You hear the way Dave introduces the song that Jane likes, and you know that he is amped up this night. His alternate lyrics are fantastic. All of that stuff that he does, like in the intros and endings of songs, like two step and minarets. And I know we're going to get into the details Um, the improv lyrics and say goodbye. Like you come away from this show thinking that this is really one of Dave's best shows as a singer. And I like, I just don't know how many shows you can describe like that. So I wanted to pick this one because I just don't think that it's that common and it's one that people should hear. A couple things to add to that. Um, Just to clarify something Rob said, he said that this was between the, the Flectones and the Los Lobos shows. The Los Lobos did open this show. They just didn't. None of the members, I think David Hidalgo is is the main one. Uh, none of the members from Los Lobos guested with the band. And that's what you mean by that, Rob, right? Right. Okay. And then the other thing, just full disclosure, uh, Riverbend is Rob's home venue. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Rob, <laughs> Rob, you were not at this show, correct? Right. So I got a chance to listen to this. And when we were talking in the last episode about how I got into the band and it was through listening to alternate lyrics of say goodbye. I was obviously introduced to this show because I'm in Cincinnati. Like it was easier to obtain a show from Cincinnati in Cincinnati back in 1998, but no, I wasn't there. I knew the show was happening at the time and just, you know, it wasn't at that point in time where I would make it happen. Even, even when they played Riverbend in 98, it was, I knew about the show but didn't make it happen. So um, yeah, like maybe it has to do with the fact that I'm in Cincinnati that I knew about the show, but not a particular bias. Sweet. That's awesome. That's a great intro. And Nolan actually, um, spoiler alert, I think had the same MVP as you. And and, I mean, some of our notes are going to say why. And I would have chosen Dave as the MVP, but I went with someone else just to be different than Nolan. But you are exactly right. His vocals are absolutely absurd. And uh, people buckle up because we're going to play a lot of Dave's vocals here. But we're going to play some stuff from who my MVP was, which was Stefan Lassard, actually. And I don't know if it was just because of how great this recording was um, that you could and how great he was mixed in uh, just with the, through the sound. But 
he is just really turned up and he is a lot of his fills, a lot of the stuff that you don't normally hear Stefan do, um, which he is doing. You just can't normally like hear it maybe. Um, and it just really stood out to me. And I was just like, damn, that's funky. Damn, that's great. Um, get it, Fonz. So there is a lot of that in here. And um, yeah, so that was a great introduction. Nolan, tell us a little bit more about uh, this show just off the top before we just go deep diving in. Yeah, before we get into Dave's fiery vocal performance, a little more background info and history. This show has two release tracks, and that is Minarets on the Come Tomorrow bonus disc and Drive In, Drive Out from Warehouse 7, Volume 7. So I'm going to ask you guys afterwards, if you had two picks to release from this show, would you have picked Minarets and Drive In, Drive Out? Okay. Just, uh... Ooh, I'll remember yeah, that. Yeah, and you know... And I know what my two picks would be. You were talking about the sound on it. I think it's interesting because 97s, and again, it's a little before my time, and I'm not really that technical of a guy. They all, all of the audience recordings have a similar sound to them. So I don't know if that was their setup, the way that they were mixing or the way that the speakers were. But yeah, I agree. And, you know, 97 generally, when you look at our song checklist, it's straight lines all the way across. Like of, of the 17 songs on this show, Eight of those 17 songs were played at all 29 shows of the tour. Yeah. Like, imagine the uproar right now, you know? I made that And then too. if you add on top of that, like Leave Me Praying was played mostly every single night after its debut. Say Goodbye was played at every venue but one, skipping a couple repeat venues. So it's like 10 out of the 17 songs were played literally almost every single night, and yet they're still all that good. Yep. On top of that, it, like people often talk about slots for songs, you know, what opened, what, what was played in the two slot in the 10 slot. Um, too much was the closer for almost every show on this tour. The encore from this show drive or leave me praying, drive and drive out was the encore for almost every single show on this tour. <laughs> and yet, like you said, Rob, and yet this tour is is held in such high regard because it was just that good, and it doesn't matter that the song that, that song variety was almost non-existent on this tour. Uh, that's one of the things in the write up we have on our homepage about uh, you know different objective ways of tracking setless variety. Uh, one of the things that I point out in that is that you know 2004 and 1997 are the two tours with really, really, really well-respected tours that everybody pretty much unanimously says are were good tours. And yet they're some of the least varied set lists in the band's history. And so the idea of, oh, they play the same set every night being the determining factor of whether a tour was good or not is kind of bullshit for, for the most part when you, when you actually break down what really matters about shows. And I think this show as well as the entire 97 tour uh, are, are a good example of that. Absolutely. Oh yeah, totally agree. And I mean, one of the thing, other things that stood out to me on this show is just how in sync the band is. And it really starts with the boa opener and it's a little funny Dave speak when he walks out on stage talking about people sitting on the grass and how he's been on the grass. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. Mm -hmm. Everybody doing okay up on the grass? No. I spend my fair amount of time on the grass myself. But Boa, man, they just... Should we talk about Boa as an opener? Oh, in yeah. I mean, it's, it's goat. First of all, like any single person who's listening to this podcast when the band comes out is starting to look at who's got what guitar. Like you, people tweet out what guitar is on stage 20 minutes before the band even walks out at this point in time. But but best as an opener, you're looking, you just can't figure it out. Like Dave's regular guitar, Fonz's <laughs> regular bass. Jeff picked up a saxophone at this point, you know, Roy before that. And you're just like, I don't know. Like, I know it's not squirm. <laughs> like... And then the opening notes from Best kick in, it's like, oh, shit, you know, like, so perfect opener. No one has any idea that it's ever coming. And you can, like you said, with Dave coming out and talking to the crowd beforehand, like, you can tell he is up for it early in this Yeah, show. that's not really something that he does anymore. Talk to the talk to the crowd 
before the first song. You know, they walk out, maybe they talk to each other for a little bit, and then they bust into that first song. Or, you know, on, on those couple of tours where they had that curtain in front of them uh, that, that yeah. dropped at, at the big hit of the first song. You didn't even see the band yeah. until partway into the first song. Um, so probably because people were tweeting each other that the small right. guitars on stage. Right, 20 right. Yeah, it's going to be a shotgun opener. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's really cool listening to the show and just hearing some of the changes that have happened with the band since then, such as Dave talking to the crowd before song one. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in that song, it's just a different type of, you know, with Leroy playing some very smooth stuff and just he owns this song and Jeff dominates the song, but just with the fervor that Leroy uh, didn't exude on stuff like this. You know, he was more jazzy and this was a very nice, uh, smooth, jazzy solo from Roy. Dave's voice sounds fantastic. And then at the end, Dave says, well, we just started off a little bit slow. <laughs> no, no, you didn't, Dave. No, you didn't. <laughs> I, I love it when it's after my favorite song that Dave basically apologizes and says, thanks for indulging me. And, and you know, it's, it's always my favorite songs that he apologizes for, like always. talking to the non-hardcores yeah. at that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, you know, they kick in the Jane, uh, like y'all were talking about before, and Boyd sounds fantastic. Like, the, the combination of Boyd, Leroy, and Fonz here at the beginning is just incredible to me it sounded so good yeah i, I noticed that as well when uh, i was listening what? to the show is, is boyd in particular you know as many off nights as he had even this far back this isn't really one of those i, I heard maybe one or two sour notes the entire time i was listening to the show um the the jane intro in particular boyd and roy together their little licks that they play um i, I always I don't listen to, to the song that Jane likes all that often, you know, unless it's in a show. I don't I don't seek that song out. And so when I hear it, the intro of it, the violin licks and then the sax licks, they always grab me. It, it, it's There's something about it that I just love before the lyrics come in even. Oh, yeah, I did like a double take at the big beginning of this, I guess. It's been a while since you have been able to appreciate how good Boyd was at times and the way him and Roy lock up. I noticed that immediately and was like, oh, and I rewound it and listened to it again. Like, dang, they are in sync right there. And it that intro, I mean, Song That Jane Likes is a pretty standard song and everyone loves it. But like, I don't know, for me, that really stood out and was like, dang, that pops. Mm-hmm. As did the two-step intro. Yeah, I figured two-step is where we're going to hear a lot about uh, Stefan being an MVP. Yeah, yeah I, I was well. going to say when, uh, I forget what you all was saying this earlier, maybe it was Buber's, um, your MVP was Stefan. I don't know that I would say he was my MVP, but I remember at the beginning of listening to the show, I was like, damn, you can hear Stefan, and this is a 97 show. I, I remember, I don't know when it was, but I remember a specific year when I noticed that they finally started making Stefan audible on live releases. Um, and this show is, is almost in that vein. Like, I'm hearing bass runs that he's playing as opposed to just him playing along with the melody, which is what you notice on, on most of their recordings. Uh, this show he really sticks out. You can actually hear, like you said before, he's playing these runs every show, but you just don't hear them because they kind of blend in with, with the rest of the mix. You can hear him on this show for sure. And I think Two-Step is probably the song that, that I really picked that out on when I was listening to this the other day. So, and Dave's got two parts on this, right? Like, so he's got the opening, which was different all the time back then, but it's when they get to the the end so when we've got kind of the end jam and dave's got his second improv ramble that is just perfect mm -hmm. with the build and so locked in with stefan's beat right there like that was really yes. you know I've, I've listened to this show a lot i'll admit this wasn't a fresh listen for me and i just couldn't believe how good that was like everything that i had thought about this show that was amazing was kind of later on in the show, and I was listening to this, and I was like, 
All right, so like I may have a different top three for this show than I thought I did, which hearing it maybe 20 times later was crazy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with all of that. I mean, Fonz in the beginning, killing it. And the ending, I mean, I wrote down one of my notes. The ending is all Carter and Dave. And, like, you can prominently uh, hear both of them. And, I I mean, I love when you can hear Dave's guitar high in the mix. And, I mean, especially with the original five like that. And he would have been playing the Chet Atkins on this show. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, yes. I remember reading one time about how the reason Dave liked that guitar was because it cut through the sound of the rest of the band. Yes. And uh, you talk to a lot of people who know guitars and they'll say, yeah, that guitar sounds like shit. Maybe, but it cut through the sound of the rest of the band. And that's one of the things that people complain yeah, about nowadays <laughs> is you can't hear Dave anymore and they blame it on Tim or they blame it on Rashawn and uh, and, you know, maybe maybe it's Tim's fault. Maybe it's Rashawn's fault. Maybe the two of them are covering up what Dave's playing. But I think a big part of it is Dave's not playing a guitar that's specifically chosen to cut through the sound of the rest of the band anymore. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then, you know, next they go into Recently, and you've got kind of Boyd doing his thing uh, in the middle jam there. And, I mean, I, I miss it. I miss that sound. Uh Carter great throughout and uh, you know he has a lot of subtleties that he adds that obviously make him the goat that we all know and love uh, cool Dave scat at the end and then we go into a solid granny uh, nice scat by Dave to close it and we had a question for y'all here did you just list these summertime <laughs> teas because we're not so sure it was there maybe a week ago Yes, I added that yesterday, actually. <laughs> Amazing. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, how in detail are we going to get with some of these teas? Yes. Because, you know, so so for people who haven't heard it, like, it, it's hot. Like, it's hot. And it's muggy down by the river. And so Dave just goes, Summertime, and I'm hot as a bastard. Is that worthy of a tease? Yeah, it's worthy of a tease. Today it is. I mean, that's one of the coolest things that y'all do, I think. Which, again, is kind of down to Dave's mood for the night. You know, like... Fantastic. Yeah, like He's up for it, 100%. Um, Granny's the only tour debut of the show, and it's nice that they start it right after a guy close, close to the mic says Granny. I don't know, maybe he sees Roy walk off stage or something, yeah. which is kind of the cue back then. 
but yeah, yes. it was uh, it was very nicely timed. I liked that. One thing one thing I want to flip back to real quick uh, before we move on is recently. Um, I, I noticed when I first opened this show yesterday or, or a couple of days ago to, to just get ready to listen to it and then talk about it tonight. Um, I noticed that there were very few song notes on the page. Uh, you know, it has, we have nature intro for Billy's. We have the live release stuff and we had, uh, this land is your land on leave me praying, which was on almost every version, if not every version of that tour. Um, and I'll be the first to admit that I, I honestly haven't listened to that much 97. As good of a tour as I know it is, something Rob said earlier about the song quality or the sound quality on most of this tour is is subpar, especially by today's standards. It's kind of in this gray area between soundboard recordings being allowed up through 95 and then microphone quality and tapers getting really good at what they're doing around, I don't know, 2003, four, something like that. I would um, even say 99. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe so. Regardless though, 97 is in the middle of those two. And so the 97 tapes, a lot of them sound really bad. And the, and as good as the shows themselves are, they're kind of hard to listen to from a, from an objective quality standpoint. So I haven't listened to that much 97. Um, as much as I hate to admit it. And so I look at the show and I see an almost blank notes column and I say, Oh, well we must've missed some stuff. So I listened <laughs> recently and I'm like, I'm getting ready to put in, you know, pretty, pretty girl outro slash on Broadway or um, some other interpolation that maybe they do. And there's nothing. And the same thing happens later on with crash with Dixie chicken. And, um, that's that's something that I think is pretty cool about 97 is I, I said something either yesterday or this morning to Rob about no Dixie chicken on crash. And he's like, yep, none in 97 except for like one. Um, so yeah, that was something that stuck out to me about the recently is that it was really good and it, it's not really good because he added these other little extra things into it. It's just a good recently. Yeah, exactly. It was, it's really, really good. And the next couple songs are absurdly good, too. This 41 that they throw in here. I mean, Leroy may have disliked the song, but he was like the main reason that I fell in love with it. And this is like such a good example. Um, you know, Carter and him, they have this nice build up there in the solo section and launch into this nice peak full of energy. It's like vintage Leroy. I mean, he's got some great flute work throughout there, too. Um, but his sax solo here is just fantastic you know leading into the outro of the song before they inevitably transition into say goodbye i don't know all during 41 i was thinking this <laughs> say goodbye is next and couldn't really focus on the 41 so <laughs> i'll listen i'll listen to your notes because if it's not clear on how i feel about this say goodbye it will be in a few minutes so, so about the 41 and just just 41 in general you talk about roy hating the song and and I know Dave said that after Roy died for basically every time they played it for the rest of, uh, of 2008. Um, but I feel like, I don't know, I, I, I never really took Dave as meaning like Roy hated this song, thought it was a bad song, anything like that. So we've got like, there's so many different ways of number 41. Me personally, I like a crisp number 41 like this. I thought, um, especially in like the late 2000s when it would blow up into like the 18 minute range, I thought that was a little much for me. But what about you guys? Like what's what's your favorite style of 41? I like it shorter and, and crisp, like you said. Uh, the I mean, when you get into the slow everyday outros like they were doing in like the mid 2000s, that was just brutal, but <laughs> I think they've or like to slow it down a little uh, bit more every time every the outro time. for like three minutes. No, that that's not me. I don't I don't like that as much. But I feel like you know as of late it's kind of gotten more on track. Is that uh, kind of Tim kind of battling Jeff sometimes? They definitely trimmed it down quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Besides a couple of those like Flectones forty ones and stuff, um, the shorter ones are always uh, I think a little bit better too. Those old. You know, 96 through 99 or so with Leroy were really, really good. I agree with all three of y'all that the, the not, not necessarily the short ones, but the kind of middle ones are, 
or where I really kind of key in with the song. Yeah, I mean, I'll also add in, I think the only song that should be more than 15 minutes is Smooth Rider, so. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> so, so you're obviously right, back on a different track. kind of beer now than you were at the start of the, the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing a guy, I think it was Alpine in 2012, and he had on a, a shirt from the 2006 Charlottesville shows. And I, I was standing behind him in line <laughs> for the Port of John. And I, I said, you know, just making conversation while we we're waiting, I said, you know, that shirt should say, like, I survived the 23 minute smooth rider. Has he even survived it yet? It's still going. And he I think. didn't think that was very funny. <laughs> yeah, we did too. <laughs> I don't think that's funny. That was so, so brutal. Yeah, I think you're making that number um, up. Oh, who cares? It was way too long. Bruce and I text each other about it frequently. No joke. I'm having a Smooth Rider Steveville 2006 type of day. <laughs> We're like, do you remember that we had to sit through that? What was Boyd doing? God, let's move on to the say goodbye. I need a, I need a palate cleanser. I need a palate <laughs> cleanser. Help me out. So say goodbye. Can I, can I talk about say goodbye for a second? <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> All right, so uh, it, look, it's one of the it's it's the show highlight for me. Honestly, it is one of I think the best versions of "Say Goodbye" that the band has played. I think it's the best improv lyrics that Dave has ever done, personally. Um, wow. You know, and say, "Say Goodbye" in like '97, especially every single night. There's at least one line that is unique that he never sang any other night. This this version's got a lot of them, including. An entire verse, an entire chorus, but yes. And then right after this, it kind of went into. It was like the set piece of shows when they played it, like summer '98, summer '99, with like 13 minute long versions that were seven minutes of drums and flute. That it was what they centered their shows around. But for me, Dave's improv lyrics have never gotten better than this, and especially every night on that tour, you're thinking. You know, he played this, what they played it, I think I said earlier, like 25 out of 29 nights or something like that. So there's no way he came up with this on the fly. There's no way. <laughs> so it's like, does he come up with it during Carter's solo? Is it like coming up with it the night before? So the second verse, I feel like he's about to lose it in the second verse where, you know, he kind of misses a line and it takes the rest of the verse to get it back. But instead, he just starts improving the rest of the second verse. And then hitting in the second chorus with uh, just tonight under the stars or so much more. And the moon, I swear I heard in a whisper, just go, go ahead. Why not kiss her? Like, are you kidding me? Like, it's just, I swooned listening to it again for what has to be at least the 200th time.
yeah, I wrote out those exact that exact run there of lyrics, um, and I was like, this is one of my favorite Dave improv lyrics from Say Goodbye for sure ever. And yeah, come on, kiss her, fool. Go ahead, why not kiss her? <laughs> Rob, funny thing is, uh, when I listened to this show uh, recently, I, I finished listening to it this morning. I told you I, when I was done with it, I was going to go back through and uh, read through the Say Goodbye lyrics as I did. And that specific line that you just quoted, um, what the moon apparently is whispering to the speaker here, I changed from how you, how you had it to come on, kiss her, fool, go ahead, why not kiss her? So I'm interested, you as the, the resident say goodbye guru, uh, I'm interested in you going back through these lyrics now, now that I've updated them a bit and uh, seeing if you have any reversions to make potentially. Ooh, homework. Yeah, we'll do. And then he follows after that, like continuing on with it. Uh, the stars and moon are with us. Who will know why we would dream of ours? Let's spend them or let them devour. There's no way you come up with that on spot. No way. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no shot at Dave's all. Dave's a cheetah. He's a liar. Oh man, what a great, what a great version though. I mean, fantastic. Everything. Roy on the flute, obviously Carter, duh. Um, but Dave, just the vocal performance, the improv performance, Boyd plucking during the first verse, I believe, or the first chorus, um, and, you know, just sounding perfect. And then him playing normally the rest of the song that way, he adds a lot to the song. It's just very nice to hear one of those crisp and clean, perfect 97 say goodbyes. Yeah, he plucks generally back in the day, would pluck the first chorus and like... Uh, use the bow for the rest of it. Um, say goodbye. You know, again, it's my favorite song. It got me into the band hardcore. It's still my favorite song. It's kind of one of those songs that's become a bit of the victim of the teleprompter a bit where like the teleprompter is amazing. Like we get, we get songs we would never get without a teleprompter. But at the same point in time, I think this little bit of creativity, you started to see some of these alternate lyrics start to go away in 2005 when that came out. But, you know, still still a great song. He still does it from time to time. But it's just, you look back at this tour and this version, uh, just absolute top notch. Highlight of the show for me. I think this song and, and Drive and Drive Out are probably the two that are still somewhat improvised night to night, despite the teleprompter. Yeah, totally agree with that. I mean, this this say goodbye is is tough to beat. I don't know. I don't know what else from the show can really stack up against it. Moving forward, this line our graves pretty solid as well. Uh Roy kind of kept it going and kind of hoping for a Roy solo here, but then Boyd comes in, nice short solo from him and then Bruce's guy Fonz very prominent in the reprise and uh I mean, one of the reasons he was your MVP for this show. I posted something on, I think it was Ants the other day about someone was saying how since Boyd left the band, Liner Graves just isn't any good anymore. And I said, you know, that may be, but it's not necessarily because of Boyd, because Liner Graves didn't used to have a Boyd solo in the jam. You listen to Red Rocks 95 and that's all Roy. Um, so I thought for a split second there that maybe this was a Graves with a Roy solo, which is why I don't remember a Boyd solo, but then I rewound it and I was just wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a, it was a solid Boyd solo. And, um, you know, the next few songs, you know, we've got Billy's here and that one was kind of the same, uh, solid Boyd. He had a ton of energy on it. Um, nothing crazy noteworthy, you know, nature intro, Boyd comes alive, cool stuff. Crash, solid, cool. Ants, mid-set, also cool, also solid boy. But then we get to another song that I really wanted to talk about. We have, you know, it's been released on the Come Tomorrow bonus disc, and I think this was just all-around full band, on-point, unreal performance, Minarets. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to go back to those three songs that you mentioned because... Literally, I don't have a whole lot of notes for any of those three songs, except that, you know, when when you look at, at the tour and how, um, like, the song checklist and the various songs that were played, I kind of thought that these three were, like, the three-song run for the people who showed up for the radio <laughs> at that point yeah. in time, just to, like, kind of throw them a bone. I, and I went and I looked at the singles that were released. So Crash came out 
December of 96, so Crash Into Me was single. Two-Step was a month later in January. Billy's in March of 97, which was the last of the singles, probably three months before this came out, so you know that the album cycle is kind of near the end, but I don't ever remember hearing Two-Step on the radio. I definitely heard Crash, even after Billy's. I heard Billy's on the radio a little bit as a single, but it was always Crash, and you could just... You can just kind of tell the way that these three songs were kind of thrown onto the set list at that point in time. But I also felt like every time I listen to this show, I feel like once I get to the end of Ants, I've heard enough great stuff that it's like, oh, yeah, the show's not done. We still got like a couple more a couple more songs to go. And wow, this Minarets into Typical is just a gift at this point. And I, I made a bunch of notes because I was thinking... Like, Minarets in general has killed it in every single form that it's ever been. Like, 92 with, you know, the crazy keyboards that Peter was playing. 93 after Peter left. Amazing. Fast forward a little bit to 95. And, like, that bonus version that's on that Best of What's Around. It's, like, really one of one of the best versions of that song. Yep. Dave and Tim, it's amazing. 98's with Tim, Amazing. 2000 with a 12 string and a freaking gong even with the ladies in 2001 <laughs> it was fantastic ridiculous versions of 2003 and i've got this all listed out right they brought it back in 2005 and butch played a sitar and it was fantastic oh. and if there's someone who's going to tell me that this has not Hold been on. the mvp butch played a sitar in like, 05 on minarets well like sitar on his keyboards <laughs> okay. not like an actual sitar because oh. Because imagine that, like Butch playing his guitar. But, like, so they brought this back in the acoustic tour in 2014. And if you guys have a better song in the last six years than Minarets, I'd like to hear it. It just seems to be, like, the all-purpose song for every incarnation of this band. It doesn't matter. They slay this song. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, Minarets has, has always been one of my one of my absolute favorite songs that this band does. And uh, this version is no exception to that at all. Absolutely. Yeah. What about you guys? Worthy of the release on this? Would this be one of your two? Of the two? Yes. This was one of the two for me. Yeah, they're they're firing on all cylinders here. The interesting thing about this song being released on specifically on the Come Tomorrow bonus disc is I remember um, before Come Tomorrow came out, there were rumors that... You know, they were scrubbing Boyd from the album, and we were supposed to get this bonus disc of B-sides, or, or, you know, I guess outtakes would be a more accurate term. Um, but that, because of the whole Boyd situation, we got the bonus disc that we got instead. And so these were all songs where Boyd wasn't really featured. Um, and so I, I forgot, when I listened to this track this morning, I forgot to listen to it with that lens, of is Boyd actually audible on this? And if so, is he doing anything good or bad? Um, I just kind of forgot about that. But anyway, did, did any of the three of y'all notice anything about Boyd on this song in particular or the lack thereof? Not really. I was more kind of in tune with Dave. And I mean, he's just like the ad-libbing, the outro and just his energy. I mean, you could say it for just about every song on this show. Um, but gosh, I mean, I love this outro.
and such a great segue into typical and i mean roy an, another song where he shines on the flute in the intro the way he played was incredible i i love this version of typical and uh i mean it has a great build like always i don't know the the next average typical i hear will be the first average <laughs> typical yeah. i hear yeah this one was really cool i think roy throws like an effect over his flute it sounds like um it sounds like multiple flutes being played at once um, that he would do sometimes, and that was really cool to hear again. Um, it was nothing crazy noteworthy overall. It was just solid. It was just really, really good. There wasn't one particular thing where I could be like, boom, that was incredible. It was just good. And, you know, yeah, I agree. you just keep going, and then you get to the end of the show here. Um, and we've got so much to say pops up, and we actually have something noteworthy where Dave forgets the words, and so he does a little scat there in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only time in the show, and and there is a Greenpeace cell before the show. Oh yeah, the say, green card to heaven. Literally, almost every show of, of '97, it's even on the live track '17 that they released. I think it's just that tour, but but yeah, the hardcore. You get into heaven if you pitch a dollar in the bucket. <laughs> sold oh yeah and that scat that dave didn't so much to say was pretty cool then they go into bridge another funky scat from dave and then Fonz throws this effect on his bass it almost sounds like a vocal effect i don't even know what it was but i legit hmm. never heard it before roy plays some slightly different lines in here i thought it was a really cool anyone seen the bridge That, that stuck out to me listening to this part was this is probably the first anyone seen the bridge I've listened to in a long time that was the original version of it where it was basically a minute and 20 some seconds every single time and it was the same arrangement every single time um, and it, it was it, it was a composed jam um, yeah most of the bridges I've listened to recently have been the newer ones where again, they're still basically the same every time, but they're, they're different than this. They're longer. They've got Tim playing heartbreaker. They've got the horns playing 2001. Um, it was refreshing to hear this original version of this song. And then it was refreshing as well to hear it segue into too much. And I, I kind of forget that they do this, but now, and I don't remember when they started this, but nowadays, when they get to too much, they play the, the first couple of bars at too much twice. Um, they used to only play it once, like like they were just playing the song without Bridge going into it. But now they, they double that intro, and uh, it, it caught me off guard hearing the original version of Too Much as well, because I don't know when the last time I heard that was. No, I, I agree with that. I Too Much caught me off guard. I mean, I knew it was coming, but like... I don't know. This was one of the better performances, I think, from this show, and it was all Dave for me. Uh, just so strong in the outro. I feel like I've said this for several songs now, but the way he's he's attacking the outro is is cool to me. It's cool to see how the outros evolved, and I wish I wish this song got played more nowadays. I feel like it's starting to slowly. Um, make its way back into sets over the past maybe like two years but kind of went on a little bit of a break um, recently and I mean another strong one and now we go into the encore and leave me praying this one I think would be cool um, if it was released just because it's so unique and I, mean, I know it was played a few times Dave and Tim in 96 and 97 but 
Leave me praying in the E1 slot is just money. He found his confidence around this part in the tour, you know, um, to kind of throw it back to the to the live tracks. Um, that live tracks, you know, he just kind of plays it. It's Dave and Carter. I think maybe there's a little bit of Stefan added in. And each time that they played it, it kind of, you could tell he was getting a little more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't do a whole lot of songs that people didn't know for a couple years. You know, once once especially Crash came out, most of what they played had been released. And they start playing this, and it's tentative for a bit. They're kind of growing into it through that those first couple weeks of the tour. This is when it's locked in, right? Like, from here on, for the rest of the tour, every version is this good. It just starts to become good right around here where he's just letting it go with all abandonment. And Stefan and Carter are into it as well. Yep. I I love I love this version. I really do. things that stuck out to me about this version i noticed uh, kind of going off of what rob just said about uh, him finding his groove with the song as the year went on this the arrangement of the song itself seems to be kind of a microcosm of that where it's not until the very tail end that carter just all of a sudden crashes into the song and i thought that was so cool and i'm sure every 97 version of the song is like that but this is this is again the first time that i really picked up on that myself um, the other thing I noticed about it, and again, maybe every 97 version of this song is this way, but did Boyd and Roy play on this song at all? We have them listed on it because we just filled them in on every song, but are they actually featured on this or is this just Dave, Stefan, and Carter? I'm not positive they were even on stage for it, but there's just no way to prove yeah. it unless anybody remembers, but... I think the three of them came out for the People will get a video in the DMB drive-in <laughs> series. That'd be cool. <laughs> we go on to drive and drive out. Um, what, it was one of those every venue songs until this part of the tour. And then the next night at Polaris and Columbus, they played it. Then it kind of fell off and wasn't really played again for the rest of the tour, except for like, for like once. But Leave Me Praying, Drive and Drive Out, the most common encore of the tour by far, even up to this point, it held true. Yeah, I think I saw um, 24 of the 26 DMB performances of Leave Me Praying were in the E1 slot. They were almost always paired with Ants. Drive and Drive Out was here and there. Um, Nancy's was a time or two, and I think one Billy's. And if you look at those Summer 97 encores, I mean, you've got 24 Leave Me Praying E1 and then almost always Ants or like two other songs, Drive and Drive Out and something else. And if you had that today, like y'all said earlier on, it would just be a mutiny. People would be just absurdly pissed. (laughs) But I I really want uh, Drive and Drive Out to come back to closing shows. I mean, this is on the, you know, we talked about it, the Warehouse 7 and 10 uh, Volume 7 discs, which was the released in 2018 and was the last last warehouse disc that has something other than 2018 or 2019 songs interestingly enough but i love this closing shows and need it back drive is one of those songs that seems to have another level 
like um, I think Rapunzel is a lot like that where Rapunzel kind of is what it is and then there are those nights where it's not and I think Drive is one of those too um, like Live Tracks 34 from Deer Creek where Drive closed the encore as a typical drive where like that drive is anything but typical right like it has that other level that it can go to when it needs to go there so i i like it in the e2 slot for sure yeah uh, when was the last time drive in drive out was in an encore i'm gonna look it up there's a good tool for that i think so 2013 but that was once so like outside of the one time in 2013 it had some of those stone drive encores that we would get in 2000. But really, after 2000, it just dropped out of the encore entirely. So one of the one of the last things that I wanted to point out, so common songs of the tour not played this night. So Jimmy Thing was played 23 out of 29 times on the tour, but not played at Riverbend. Classic, course. Disappointing the guy in the crowd screaming Jimmy Thing over and over <laughs> before Boa hit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes. Dancing Nancy's played 15 like, out of nope. 29 times, but not played. And then third most was Beauty of Winona, actually mm. never played in Cincinnati. Oh. 13 out of 29 times, not played. I missed played. that Those cover. Three most commons. Oh, yes. So if you guys had two tracks to pick that could be released because they have released two tracks, what would they be? Nolan? I'm going to go with Say Goodbye just to make you happy. And... <laughs> uh... <laughs> No, you actually feel that. It's okay. No, I I feel it. I feel it. And then leave me praying. Okay, fair enough. Nice. And I was going to go say goodbye as well. And I was going to say minarets, but because we already have that, I'm going to go with two-step. Yeah, but they could have gotten it right. Um, You could give them credit and say they got it right with minarets. Oh, they did get it right. But just to go with another one, if they're releasing two more, we're going to go with those two. Um, So, yeah, that... I mean, there were, there was just so many great performances to choose from the show. I think that was pretty cool that, you know, y'all chose that just based off of it's a show that doesn't get a lot of love, but it is so damn good and people need to listen to it. And obviously we're giving you music in this episode here that y'all have heard, but go seek out the entire show. And by the way, DMB management, seek out the show and maybe put it on your drive-in series or one Ooh, of the yeah. summer 97 shows, June 97, one of the best months in the band's history. I don't know if you have any video from that. You probably do. Um, so let's get some of that. And I want to just be led off of an encore with drive and drive out, closing the show and Dave just going Carter Beaufort on the drums. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Perfect way to end it. All right, Dan, what about your two? My two. Um, I, I, I think I would go with uh, probably Say Goodbye in Minarets. And if I wanted to cheat, I would go, I, I would put 41 and Say Goodbye on one track since they technically segue and then do Minarets. And Minarets into typical and on one typical. track because they technically yes. segue. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, you look at Fish's live bait compilations that they put out and they do, you know, however many tracks. Well, three or four songs. But that doesn't mean it's that many songs because they'll have a track with five songs segued into one another on that track. So I think DMB should take a page out of that book and the warehouse five, seven, eight, ten, whatever, it yes. should just be ten tracks, but let's just put a bunch of segues on it. Get get our bang for our buck. Ten tracks, four discs. Yeah, and that and I wanted them to stop throwing in like so many satellites and YIMs because they need a three and a half minute song because they have to shorten things up. It's like, no, you don't. We don't need a CD, just digital files. Let us download them and you can have them. Okay, so so I would have gone with the Say Goodbye. I would have gone with Minarets for my number two. I think they nailed it with that. Uh, just just the, the rant. It's just a rant that Dave has at the end. There's no better way to explain it. Um, I, I think that that's top notch. If, if I were to say in addition to what we already have, Definitely the Leave Me Praying. But again, we've gotten two of these songs recently, like within the past two or three years. Yeah. I would gladly pay for this yeah. again. 
No question. The entire show. One thing I wanted to point out about this show and just 97 in general is as far as live releases go for the longest time, people thought there was something about 97 that the band didn't want to release. Um, because there was nothing from this year. Not, uh, you know, I'm not just talking about full show releases. I mean, even individual tracks, there was, there was a crash from 97 on one of the, one of the singles that, 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 yeah, it's the don't drink the water single has a version of crash that it says is from 97, but if the date on there is correct, then they must have edited Bela Fleck out of it because he's not on the Don't Drink the Water single version of Crash. So it's probably misdated, is more likely. Um, there were a couple of 97 Dave and Tim performances, I think, on some of the, the Crash album singles. But really, there was nothing from 97 at all released for a really long time uh, to the extent that one year, one of us, I don't, I don't know who this was. Maybe this was Matthias had, had the idea for an April fool's joke to, uh, to say that we had, I don't know what hacked into the band's archives and, and found that 97 wasn't actually destroyed in a fire at the warehouse or something. <laughs> yeah. So that was, so that was me when they re- yeah, they released that uh, typical situation '97 uh-huh. download, I think, to benefit uh, the Haiti yeah, earthquake, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe or something like that. So I made some snarky <laughs> remark about proving there wasn't a very, very localized <laughs> fire in the. Uh, it burned down the 1997 drawer. Yeah. Um, yeah, but here's the problem: when you're a website that doesn't make a lot of jokes, and then you make a joke, <laughs> everybody takes it really seriously. <laughs> yeah this is a fact yeah um but but that's the thing about 97 again the the sound quality of the audience recordings from that year is not optimal and what the band has released has has been pretty minimal And, and that's a year that i think deserves a little bit more than than what we've gotten in terms of the quality of the shows versus the quantity of the releases and if there's one thing that i think the band should do is maybe not one thing but you know one thing that i think the band should do is release more 97 shows because they're all so good and i think a lot of people shy away from them because a lot of people only know what's available on spotify and even even if they know how to download shows or, you know, 20 years ago, trade for shows in the mail, 97 shows, while they're good, the sound quality isn't. There There are so many better sounding shows on either side of this year that this year often gets overlooked undeservedly. And so I think the band could do a lot to, to make up for that. Yeah. And so you've got we've got a release from the Flectones part of the tour, which, you know, the Hartford show that came out is 47. I mean, like really everything that you ask of the live track series with that release right there. Lots of other good Flectone shows, but then, you know, you've got what I mentioned as the Los Lobos shows earlier, but I kind of refer to those that way as the guests that came out. So we've got the Shoreline show from there, but even Portland from that part of the tour, the Gorge from that part of the tour are amazing. If we wanted to avoid guests for whatever reason, just because to not kind of duplicate what we already have. This is a great one. Both Nights of Red Rocks are fantastic shows. Night two's got John Popper coming out to guest on recently and what would you say that were amazing. There there are a lot more places that you can go with these shows for sure. But you know, we've been skewing recent shows a lot more lately. Um we had the Hershey release that was a good one. You know, maybe it's time to go back to the mid nineties with like a good 95 or a 97 i would take it i'll be interested to see what they put in this drive-in series if if anything ends up coming out that's uh you know not from 2018 19 um hopefully that'll be the case but i i have no idea i i can't help but like look at the serious re-airings that they've done um like we don't even really have live shows these days but the shows that we're getting are still 2019 um, after last year when they didn't play on Friday nights and we got uh, different shows that weren't being aired live. 
They were still from 2019 and we've gotten to 2018. I just like, they're just trying to move on at this point. It's a different sound. And, you know, if we get anything from before then, I, I just, I, I think it'll be a gift. Honestly, hopefully we will get some 97. That was, oh man, it was so great to be able to revisit that show with you guys. We both really appreciate y'all bringing it up. Um, us being able to discover it and listen to it. Hopefully a lot of people will do great the same. Pick. Um, and just thank you guys for doing these two episodes with us. Um, it was really, it was really fantastic. We got a lot of really cool stories, information, uh, history lessons, um, and then, you know, unique just vantage points of these songs tonight that we went over. So again, like, thank you Absolutely. guys so much. Means a lot. We'll do it anytime. I mean, had a blast. Love talking shop. I could do this for hours. Yeah. Thank y'all for having us so much. Yeah, it was awesome. Be thinking about the uh, the next show y'all want to talk about. Of course. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we'll be able to uh, be able to see a show with you guys next summer and we'll have to get up and um, do a tailgate and all that good stuff too. Yeah, y'all need to come to Creek and, uh, and do camp yeah. with us. We'd love to. All right. Thanks, guys. Really, really anytime. Well, that's awesome. Um, we really appreciate the, you know, just y'all being so generous with your time. Then Nolan, uh, plug our socials their social and their website obviously and get us on out of here yeah you can find us on instagram and twitter at gray street pod and facebook the corner of gray street podcasts and of course go to dmbalmanac.com for literally everything anything that you need to know about the dave matthews band they've got it thanks everybody yes absolutely and um follow you know follow them on the social medias as well um but thanks again to uh, Rob and Dan. Very, very generous. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you all next time on the corner of Gray Street. Hey music fans, we wanted to let you know about Music on the Mountain, a show that will feature Anders Osborne, Dogs in a Pile, and Saints and Liars. This show will be directly after the Divided Sky Foundation's fun run at 2pm on Saturday, May 18th at the base of Akimo Mountain in Ludlow, Vermont. The show is presented by The Phoenix, a national nonprofit organization offering support to those in recovery and anyone impacted by substance use to celebrate recovery. If you're running in the Divided Sky Foundation's fund run, you'll be automatically registered for the show. 
It's a family-friendly event, and all proceeds from ticket sales and other donations benefit the Divided Sky Foundation. Visit Music on the Mountain, that's musiconthemtn.com, for more info and to get tickets. That's musiconthemtn.com. Hope you enjoy. Enjoy.